You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Australia. I'm Nigel, I help connect businesses with tech talent, and today I'm your host. A big thank you to everyone for joining me today. Uh, we will be discussing building high-performance tech teams. Um, so I suppose before we jump into the questions, uh, if everyone could, I suppose, give a short introduction on themselves. Um, we will start with yourself, uh, Nicholas. Uh, so, yeah, Nicholas is from Australia Post and he's an engineering lead there. Hi. Uh, short is something that I uh, don't do terribly well, other than my physical height, of course. Um, so my name's Nicholas. Uh, I'm from Australia Post. Uh, I'm speaking to you from Wurundjeri country. Uh, and of course, I pay my respects to elders past, present, emerging. Uh, I'm an engineering lead. Uh, I've been leading teams, uh, you know, in, in sort of leadership positions for, uh, for many years now. I don't actually remember how long, but it's you know, but it's been quite a lot large portion of my career. Uh, you know, at the moment, I'm responsible for some half dozen tech leads who are each, you know, responsible for a fair number of developers. It's a really, really big program we're working on, um, and it's actually you know really interesting stuff. Uh, I'm super passionate about functional programming, math, and uh, how the brain works. I love uh, you know, studying how motivational salience works in the brain. And of course, I also love building happy and productive teams. Uh, so, hi. Brilliant. Um, and Danushka. Um, so Danushka is from ASG Group. Uh, he is a test manager there. Um, so, yeah, Danushka, if, if you could give your introduction as well, please. Hi, uh, I am Danushka Rangana. Um I've been in the industry for about uh, 25 years now. This is the 25th year. So, been around a bit, uh, around the world also. So, my primary role as a principal consultant in uh, AC Group, I've been basically working with multiple clientele um, and primarily on the quality engineering side of work, even though I deviate a bit here and there. Um, my passions are in the uh, around building teams. Yes, I love to build teams. Been doing that for quite some time now on that line, and also any sort of sports. Brilliant! I watch everything. <laughs> yeah. Do you watch ice hockey though? Everything you name it, I watch everything. <laughs> Excellent. But Good. I'm not for half of many of it, but just watch it. <laughs> I'm a big fan of ice hockey, so that's good. Brilliant. Great to see uh, a bit of similarities there. Uh, Elijah, and yeah, Elijah is the digital uh, delivery manager at Bunnings. Um, so, yeah, last but not least, uh, if you could give your introduction. Thanks, Nigel. Uh, yeah, so I'm Elijah. I'm a digital delivery manager at Bunnings. Um, Came across to Bunnings about 18 months ago after a, a solid stint on the consulting side of the world with Accenture. Um, really enjoyed my role. I lead a tribe um, of tech leads and um, 
product managers and, and developers uh, to deliver all sorts of uh, new products, uh, more specifically around our search experience, but also product data and information. And we do a lot of that management, which is good fun, but very challenging, as you can manage, imagine with the size of the uh, product catalog at Bunnings. Um, for me, things I'm passionate about. So um, really love delivering great quality digital products to to customers at the end of the day i think that's that's it for me there's nothing that excites me more than seeing a new feature go live and seeing you know hopefully some good good feedback come in but also the bad feedback and making changes um but just love to try and in, improve that experience in any way we can um outside of work i originally grew up in the country uh in wa so uh getting out of the city and being by the beach or in the bush is is where i'm most happy and a computer nowhere near me so um it's yeah it's good fun but yeah i think that comes up perfect uh, great introductions guys and um, so i suppose we'll jump into the first question uh then uh, which is from nick um, so next question is how to define uh, performance uh, within tech teams. So I suppose, Nick, if you could give us some context mm -hmm. around that question. Um, oh, you betcha. You betcha. Context is like my middle name. Actually, it's not really, but it could be. Um, so uh, essentially, uh, you know, part of what I find really fascinating about software engineering and uh, software engineering sort of culture in corporates and uh, in the business world is that uh, a lot of, well, the vast majority of corporates tend to uh, see uh, software engineers' performance as being, uh, as effectively being cookie cutter, the same. They want them to be the same. Uh, they want everyone to perform in the same way with the, you know, at the same, you know, at like at the, at the same level every day. Uh, and the, the unfortunate fact is that uh, uh, software engineers are, I'm pretty sure, I believe I heard somewhere that software engineers are human beings. Uh, I'm still trying to verify that. Uh, and the thing about human beings is that uh, we are, we are varied. Uh, we all work uh, in different ways. We all have different strengths and weaknesses. But it's not just about strengths and weaknesses as well. It's also about like you know the way that we that we are productive. There you know so there are of course some folks who can bring this sort of the same consistency uh, to their work every day. You know that's great. You know they produce at a certain level. Uh, there are also folks who do things in bursts uh, and oftentimes, you know, you'll see some absolutely miraculous uh, outcome, you know, from one of these sort of bursting people. Uh, and you'll be like, oh, great, cool. So you're going to do the same thing for like the next you know, several weeks, aren't you? Uh, and then no, no, it's, it's not like that. And so I think a lot of a lot of uh, managers sort of they set their expectations as like, oh, cool, you know, that 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 burst thing that you did. Can you just keep doing that? But it's not really in, uh, uh, you know, within human control. Uh, so uh, really, my my question is in order to provoke, I guess, a bit of a discussion about uh, what, uh, you know, what 
real performance in in you know, these teams made of humans looks like, how we can uh, better design or even just better, you know, work with different types of people with different types of uh, productivity and work styles. Uh, and, you know, just have, I guess, a general discussion on on uh, on that subject and many more. So, yeah. Yeah, perfect. Um, yeah, so I suppose Elijah or Dryushka, do you want to jump in on that then? Yeah, yeah, happy to. Um, <clears throat> it's a good, it's a really good topic. I I like the question. I like the context. It's uh, I think I was laughing a little bit as you and nodding along as you're explaining some of those types because have a couple of examples where it's exactly that thing, isn't it? Where you see someone, mm, yeah. you know, pull a couple of all-nighters in a row and just <laughs> I mean, you yeah. don't you don't push them to, but they deliver and it's just it's cause, unbelievable. Cause for me, it's a superhuman effort. Because <laughs> for me, I'm a burster. Uh, and I, that's all the way I've always been. And I've always run up against, uh, you know, corporate expectations of this consistent same, you know, same thing every day. And I wish I could be like that, you know, like I really do. But then, you know, uh, like I've never been like, no matter how hard I try, I've never been able to change it. So, you know, there's gotta be something innate there. And I think that we've just got to, like, we've just got to, you know, make use of, 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 of people, no matter what their way of working is, because we all, you know, yeah, like, like you said, you know, we all have, uh, we all have uh, things that we do really well. Uh, and, you know, bursters, you know, they might, you know, be, they might, you know, be uh, off, basically, you know, kind of off their game for a few days, but then, yeah, they you know, suddenly they just, Get it, get going, and pull an all-liner or something, or just do something that's absolutely ridiculous, <laughs> and then they go back, you know, and then the, the cycle repeats again. Um, so yeah, yeah. Guys, yeah, oh sorry, Janish, here. Yeah, and if I go a little bit theoretical on this, like in the say agile itself, that they are, they are talking about whole uh, building high-performance teams. Right. So in there, that essentially the whole high performance is concept of having a team, having uh, the ability to be working independently, to make a, take accountability into what they are going to deliver. So that's where that the whole thing for me comes in, right? With collection of a team is a collection of individuals, as you said, it's like mm. all the verses and the, the, it, it has all the varieties, but you build a team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in right. that way, then you actually compensate into each each and every person's mm. strengths yes. as well as weaknesses. That's how the build the team gets. That's it. right. The burst is when the burst is, takes two three days to really get into their groove. The others can pull the yes. weight. Yes, yes. So that's that, right. And then when the burst happens, then the, everybody else and comes you, into and play. Got, So that's, that's right. how you balance it out. So when we are building the teams, that's that is something which I actually look at and how do you actually select a team with all sort of individuals? That's because if yeah. you select a team which has all everybody's go getter, I do think it's not a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. The, the whole balance goes off. So that's that is one of the key factors I think we as a uh, leadership teams really need to look at when we are building 
uh, specific teams. It could be project, it could be organizations anywhere. That's where that how the balance can happen. A hundred percent agree because you know they say it takes a village, right? Uh, that's and that's you know a saying that all of us know, uh, and yet you know there's. Uh, and yet, you know, from a corporate perspective, you know, it's they're they're you know they're looking for just the same sort of thing so that they can predict. But you don't need to be predicting the uh, you know the the long term sort of outcome of individuals. You, you know, because like you said, it's about building teams, and the team balance is. Uh, you know the essentially the you know this essential this essential factor of uh, finding what the right grouping of individuals is for you know the right for for achieving the performance levels that you're looking for, uh, and actually making use of people's strengths and you know help and and the team helping to fill in for each other's weaknesses as well. Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, those are just the, like, the most critical factors. And I think businesses tend to, yeah, they tend to go too granular in ex expecting, you know, uh, in, in looking for a performance in individuals when really it's, it's as you said, it's, uh, it, it really comes down to the team. I think to add on to it, I think as well with the different styles, anytime I've seen a team that's done really well, one of the first things we do or, or get together is is to have a you know call it what you want whether it's a social contract or it's a you know it's a mm -hmm. kickoff it's whatever those team building exercises are at the start where you get together and actually talk about your different working styles your strengths weaknesses what you need from the team what the team needs from you and being aware of not only how you work but how the rest of the team works because you might mm. As you know, as a senior engineer, you might be the uh, you know a burster who loves mm -hmm. to smash a bunch of workout, but you might have a quality engineer who's a real planner and needs mm -hmm. to have a few weeks' notice, and they want to plan a sprint's they worth of workout. And so you could end up with a lot of conflict if you go, well, I'm a burst. I just push all this work, you know, at yeah. the end of a sprint. It's like, and like, and why aren't you guys? You why aren't you guys getting through it? You know, like exactly. Yeah. The quality's going. I can't deal with this guy. He's doing my head in. I need to plan. So. For me, I think it's that making sure that there's openness and awareness and that ability to sort of self-reflect in the team of the different work styles and just being accepting of them. Um, and then with that, obviously, I think to continue that, you need that culture of the ability to have open and honest conversations and give feedback within the team and that, you know, you hear psychological safety, all, the, all those things. But at the end of the day, if the team can't self-manage and mm -hmm. have open and honest conversations and address small issues when they're small, then no matter the different working styles, the team's not going to be able to perform. So I feel like it's that setting the context and awareness up front and then yeah. ensuring that you're fostering that culture of just being open and honest and, and you know, retros oftentimes are pretty pointless unless the team's yeah, got a great yeah. culture where they're comfortable to say, let's have a hard conversation because I didn't like how this happened. And, yeah. uh, and yes, I think they're the two the two things for me. And you're, oh, man, like you hit on a, a, a factor that I, you know, that I was uh, thinking of just, just before you introduced it. I was thinking, huh, I should really maybe start talking about that but you 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 put it you know so clearly that was that was uh, excellent i want to add to that as well that um you know there's 
like a lot of a lot about psychological safety and openness like that stuff is so critical but um the thing that i found it just in my personal experience with this has been that while while a lot of folks will often uh you know look at okay you know making it possible to have say hard conversations uh what i've personally found to be the most impactful uh has been you know giving people the sense that it's okay to uh like it's okay to 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 be wrong and that and that's something that i think like like we all feel a bit anxious about saying something that might make us look uh like we don't know what we're doing uh you know when certain people are in the room or or you know when 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 it could be overheard by you know certain people who might have who might have say a a power dynamic uh in in, in you know in play uh and it's i think one of the one of the roles that i uh see as you know being essential to my role is actually uh making sure that everyone knows that it is uh, that it is perfectly okay to be wrong uh as long as we're you know learning from those from those things as long as we're getting lessons from those things and that that there's not going to be you know some sort of uh negative consequence or something like that or you know we're not like taking points away from them or anything like that for you know for say you know taking a taking a risk uh, you know and 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 proposing an idea that might you know that that might like maybe it comes out and when you say it it doesn't really make as much sense as it did in your head you know like uh, i think uh, re- it reducing that anxiety as much as possible is so uh, is has been so impactful in the teams that uh, that that i've worked with and that that i've helped to build as well uh, and you know and when, because when you feel like your manager uh, like actually has you know has your back, and is and is not just going to you know uh, throw you under the bus, say, uh, then it is so much uh, easier to be open with uh, you know with anyone you know whether it's the team you know whether it's the team or whether it's you know. Even people in executive positions say, you know, um, because you need to be open, you know, even beyond the team, I think. But yeah. So I loved I love that you brought that in. Um, really. Yeah. L- loads, loads there, I suppose, on, I suppose, defining performance, I suppose, within tech teams and um, I suppose taking it from an individual level and then I suppose getting that to fit in with the overall team performance, I think, seems to be the, the overarching team there, and um, which, you know, is great. Um, and obviously, Absolutely. different people work in different ways. I think it's kind of the, the big message there, and it's making sure that's maybe understood across the team um, to Absolutely. actually define the performance. Um, so I suppose we'll go on to the next question, um, which potentially may actually be pretty related in a way, I think. But uh, so Elijah's question is... How do you support your team to evolve from a command and control type model to a self-directing team? And um, so, yeah, if you want to give some context around that one, 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, this is something that I've been diving into a lot more um, just from my personal journey of moving from sort of that scrum master delivery lead and now into delivery manager role and looking after a few different teams and that journey. And it seems like that's correlated a little bit with what's perhaps happening in the industry, talking with a few other people around that maybe, you know, 10 years ago, it was really intense scrum master um, type leadership where you had that scrum master that was, you know, come in, everyone would be at stand yeah. up at 9.15 and it was like, if you were late, like you were, you're you were in really trouble. Bad. You're and not it was, a team player, you know. Exactly. Yeah. It was pretty intense. You'd be getting called on your mobile phone on the train yeah. to go give your update. <laughs> it was, you know, those those memories those, and how those that's were some days doing it for longer than i have but it was it was interesting to come into that and then go into um so that scrum master role where you kind of put in a position where it's you make the decisions what you know what tickets are getting picked up who's doing what where you know what are the status updates because you get a client chasing you down or you've got a senior stakeholder going hey i want to know exactly when this feature is going to production um and so you there's a lot of micromanagement that tends to creep into that style um but it feels like over over the last few years and and maybe this is more my journey but kind of going, well, actually, no, we now, the team structure sh shifted a little bit. We have the sort of three leads for us in, in Bunnings, where we have a tech lead, a delivery lead, and a product manager, instead of that single scrum master type. And mm. the three, you know, the try, the, the, triangle, the triad, yeah. the triad works together really closely. And, and I think that's brought some great stuff into teams. Um, but what I'm curious about, and I'd love to hear experiences from both of you guys around sort of that journey, but also how do you see, um, you know, do you see benefits of moving away from a sort of really, you know, that command and control type leadership of dictating what gets done um, versus that self-directing team, which understands their priorities. You don't need to tell them how to do it. They work out how to get there. They'll tell you when they're, when they're going to get there um, and they start to govern and deliver uh, on their own and, and do, you know, and, and arguably do a really, really good job of it. So as, uh, as, I'm, sure, as I'm sure you all would probably expect, I have some thoughts on this subject. Um, I have some thoughts on a lot of subjects. Uh, I think that is a really excellent. That's a, first of all, that's a really excellent uh, question and something to be thinking about. Um, I think I think from from a lot of my experiences uh, uh, at the moment, my thinking is that uh, com the command and control uh, instinct, I suppose, or the or that you know, that the the incentive that pushes you towards a command and control structure really comes from uh, the stakeholder management. Uh, so essentially, when you're dealing with stakeholders, you're you know you're you're reporting, and what they want and you know what they're continuously seeking is they're continuously seeking more predictability, uh, you know more at at more at greater detail and at greater lengths of time. Uh, the problem is that, uh, and I've written a I've written a few blog posts on this actually. Um, software development uh, is not 
an assembly line process, it's inherently a stochastic process. So it's creative. Uh, I mean, you know, just like if you're, you know, if you're a Pope Pius the Eleventh or something like that, and you're asking Michelangelo, like, man, how long is it going to take you to just paint, you know, just to paint the roof of this darn Sistine Chapel? I mean, it's just a Sistine Chapel, you know, like, you know, but can't can't you just put stick figures? You know, like it's 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 kind of it's a little bit like that, right? Uh, you you have to find a way to. Uh, to essentially create a relationship with the stakeholders, where the stakeholders uh, uh, put, uh, you know, more trust, first of all, in uh, in allowing the process to to go forward. Uh, you do need to report stuff back to them, uh, and of course, timelines are an important part of that. But there's there is a limit to how. Uh, like how accurate you can be with timeline reporting and software engineering. Uh, there's and you know no matter what you do, uh, unless you're dealing with robots, you're simply not going to get any more ac accurate than that. Uh, and I think that's where you know uh, uh, points and complexity estimation and measurement uh, actually comes into play. Uh, the so essentially it's really it it really. Uh, comes down to how you manage that relationship with stakeholders and of course you know state like it, it's not i guess it depends from stakeholder to stakeholder and from project to project uh you know whether they're going to be able to uh actually accept and trust uh that process enough uh to uh, be able to you know let you guys uh you know, self-manage and self-prioritize and and move away from the command and control side of things. Uh, but really, I think, yeah, the only way to move away from command and control is when you, your stakeholder relationship is is uh, less, you know, direct and less pushy, you know what I mean? So, oh, sorry, Danushka, you're on a mute, my friend. Yeah, sorry. My point is uh, slightly different. Uh, cool. I actually see this as a yes and a no. Where that uh, depends on the organization and your team's maturity. Because mm. I do think where then it's it's like where that an organization comes and say, right, yeah, you're all going to do agile. But I want you to give me a complete uh, plan of when exactly you're going to do the delivery, mm. uh, as well as a complete estimations. And I want to know like exactly how much it's going to cost on day yeah. one. <laughs> that's, but, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah that, that, nah. But we'll do agile. Yeah, so, we'll do agile. <laughs> it's like, and then one point is one day, you know, two points is that much. sort of thing. Oh, and, yeah. and so in there then, and also the team's maturity, because you do need command and control when you have an immature team which is growing or a, a team which consists of a, a junior bench where that who needs to understand what they are doing. And then the same way goes into the organization also. There's the same context, but when, when you grow into a more mature team, it does not necessarily when you say mature that of a team with 20 years of experience. It's about working together and together. 
and also uh, yeah. understanding what they are going to deliver and that when that maturity comes and when the organization is also mature enough to say that yeah i understand you i can give you that accountability from the stakeholders yeah. perspective from the uh, delivery perspective then yes then you can loosen up into the situation where that the self accountable self delivery teams where that they can actually rely on all right account, you don't yeah. need to control uh, control how much you're going to deliver because mm. we understand how you we, yeah. how you can actually know how so that's that balance is is always a key in mm. again uh, getting into whether i'm going towards a command and control structure or whether i'm going into a completely hands off structure where that i truly believe you guys <laughs> i i really like yeah. accountability you're absolutely absolutely right it, it accountability is a is a big part of it and accountability comes from you know when you when your team uh has a certain level of maturity uh and particularly uh when you go follow through with like the you know the measurement side of agile uh one thing that just by the way one thing that drives me absolutely crazy is when uh you know when we create like you know when the business will create a team and say okay great we're going to do agile now uh here's our point scale uh you know complexity points one point is one day wait a second how does this relate to complexity once you've done that you've just thrown out the baby with the bathwater uh and like and that messes up a lot of your especially your early on accountability because it doesn't match anything so i think you know following through with measurement as well uh actually measuring how like how the team goes and 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 then getting a you know getting a a sense of of uh of roughly how long things take uh for a particular team i think that's you know absolutely critical and yeah the accountability uh side of things that's yeah abs- absolutely essential yeah good answers there guys i think uh elijah do, do you want to jump back in at all there on i suppose any points raised or no i think i think you guys nailed it and i was just thinking around the the metric side that that nicholas just talked about which it's so it's such an interesting thing when it, i like that exact example you your examples are, have all been bang on and just bringing back ptsd a little bit of those yes. <laughs> those scales <laughs> because but it, it really yes. is true and i think for me where and actually similar to kind of what danushka said and to try and tie it up i feel like regardless of the metrics that are being used for a particular team it doesn't matter you could use you know dora you could use the scrum metrics you could use sentiment surveys whatever you choose as that metric for the team at the end of the day it doesn't really matter all that yeah. matters is that the team is aware of whatever metric they are using for yeah. that particular team and the trend line is yeah, somewhat positive yeah. and you've yeah. got good data yeah. And yeah, you could, it could be anything. You could have two separate squads. One does 10 points a sprint. One does yeah. 50 points a sprint. Yeah, the one doing 10 points a sprint could be performing way higher because exactly. they're trending in the right direction. And the one doing exactly 50 right. might be going from 100 down yeah. to 50. And, so the point, and the points themselves are not compared. Like you cannot, yeah. you cannot synchronize them between teams because they are based on that team's structure at you know uh, during the period of measurement so like 
you know, when you change the, the, the makeup of a team, when you, you know, add a person, take someone away, uh, you know, rotate someone uh, in, uh, in from another team, uh, those, the, the, you know, you're going to have to continue measuring and observe how that changes because it, you know, it will change. And the, you know, it, you, it, the scale will not be the same. Uh, and so, you know, 50 points and 10 points, they might be like these two teams might actually be, you know, coming out with like uh, effectively the same like kind of level of productivity. But then but then but then that comes that also introduces the question, what actually defines productivity in this question in, in, in this in this case? And of course, I don't want to get into that because that could actually take up like six podcasts. So <laughs> unless you guys want to. but. <laughs> All right, perfect, oh, guys. Uh, I was, do, I, do you want to jump in there, Danusha? Sorry. No, that's okay. No, I was just trying to think it. This goes back into what Nicholas was asking before, right? The whole cookie cutter teams mm -hmm. that we expect each team to perform this much. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. Then, but, but it really is not aware that yeah. the teams have their own way of producing. That's and right. for me, that whole productivity is the outcome is yes. what is the value of outcome which you are going to bring in it could yeah. be 50 points outcome but same outcome versus yeah, 10, percent, uh, 10 points like, outcome could be a lower value yeah Absolutely. exactly so, uh, 100% yeah all right perfect um all right uh, i think we'll move on to the next question uh, which is from danushka um, so uh, his question is, I suppose, how, how do you build high performance in a consultancy organization um, or integrating uh, consultancy members into your organization as well? Um, so, yeah, Danushka, then, I suppose, your thoughts on the question um, and go from there. Uh, actually, my question is in two folds. One is, I think, Elijah, you can actually tap into your own experiences of consultancy. How do you build high-performance teams in consultancy environment where that uh, you don't have a specific technology stack, you don't cater to one area of work or domain, it's all over the place. We cater to everybody. Then how do you actually build teams on that? And the second part is when... Uh, I guess both of you have this in experience right now is that how do you bring the high capability, high performance team when your team is consist of multiple organizational consultants coming in? So because it's built from all over the place of every organization. Interestingly enough, at Australia Post, we, uh, we deal with exactly that. Uh, and that that scenario you just mentioned, where you know we we do have uh, members from multiple different uh, consulting uh, and you know, vendor, and we deal you know sometimes sometimes in the same team, uh, and then we get them to fight to the death. No, we don't actually do that. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, it's 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 like. It's interesting. So I, I mean, I could talk a lot about, I guess, um, uh, from a from the side the side of the coin where you know uh, the organization that's bringing them in uh, and you know how they fit into the team and that sort of thing. Um, uh, I like I, I was a 
Now, I was uh, I, I did work a lot in digital agencies, but in the digital in the digital agencies space, a lot of the work was kind of done separately and independently. So it wasn't quite the same as something like Accenture or ThoughtWorks. Um, so w at Australia Post, for example, we've got um, you know, we we like to we like to uh, sort of have uh, uh, our developers, no matter where they come from, whether they're internal or or external or vendor, uh, we like to you know, make them uh, feel like they are part of the team because they are. Uh, you know, when they're embedded in the team, you know, we've got a few folks who've been here for several years. So, uh, you know, and have made you know, really amazing contributions, you know, to to our work. Uh, and they are like, we don't even most of the time we don't even think we don't even like think about them as being, oh, that's a you know, that's an a, a external consultancy person uh, because they just, you know, it, it, you know, having them just in the team and making them feel uh, like they like they are part of the team, which they are. Uh, I think has you know been really has been really uh, uh, helpful. However, uh, there is some variation, uh, certainly in the uh, I suppose the uh, 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 say potentially you know quality I guess of uh, of of some organizations sometimes you know like you you get quite a variation in uh, in the I guess the level of uh, expertise and skill set, you know, that that, uh, that comes from uh, different uh, different consulting agencies. Uh, so sometimes it can be a bit of a luck of the draw, um, you know. Uh, but you know, essentially, essentially, when we're talking about like you know, how we how we work with them, like uh, we try to integrate them into the team as much as like as much as possible, and so that you know we all. We all just feel like we're we're you know we're one team, uh, but then yeah when but then you know sometimes you know it might be reaching out to external vendors and uh, they like it might be they might not be in the team but we still rely on on their work uh, and sometimes that can be a little hit and miss uh, but yeah that's a really good question. Yeah, thinking about the both of them are it's half I'm. I'll, I might have a crack at the first one as well, and, and it might blend into both questions. But the something I think that you that we you got to be so much more focused on on the consulting side is providing the right context to the team um, around what the client's objectives are and what's the context. Whether you're part of a much bigger program, whether it's the first piece in hopefully a much larger program that if you deliver that well, then you're going to, you know, sign a multi-year contract and and that opens up all those doors. So it's really about the context for the team. And we've seen, like, seen examples where really good context has been provided and, you know, it was, hey, guys, this is a short, sharp piece to get something in market ASAP. That's what this is. This isn't to set the greatest uh, standards yep. from a design point of view, from an engineering point of view. We don't want to build automation frameworks. We're going to test it and we're going to get it live. And that's all this is to get something in market super quick. Yep. That, you know, yep. obviously that's got its approach, Seems you like, know, yeah. pros and cons, but that's that's one approach. And I think, you know, then on the, the contrary, you might have people with that mindset going into a project where the client said, hey, right. we want to build, you know, 
top spec architecture. We want to use microservices. We want the full, you know, automation suite. We want this to, you know, we want it built right and we want yeah. it to to last and to be easily yeah. maintained. And they're two different projects. Yeah, they're um, completely different. And when you, yeah, when you introduce, say, someone who's really good at like just, you know, uh, like essentially, uh, essentially what I like to consider like the prototyping kind of stuff, yeah. uh, which is, you know, the faster market. Uh, when you bring someone like that into a project where it's like, yeah, this, what we're dealing with is, you know, really sensitive stuff or, you know, it's stuff that we're, that is going to define our architecture and our and essentially become the platform upon which we build everything else out you know, for the next several years. Uh, that's not a good that's not a good combination, you know, and same thing yeah. vice versa. You bring in someone, you know, like myself, who's really into, you know, the, the I guess the meticulous, uh, you know, the points of quality code and and uh, flexibility and that sort of thing and you put someone like me into a project that's like yeah we need to get this thing out to market real quick ah, not a great not a great combination there either yeah exactly and i think that's that's really for me i think that that differentiation and the context that you've got to provide to the team and find the right people for the right projects um that's too fun. often people are put in in projects that just don't suit their skill yes. sets so i think yes. that's one and then Outside of that, I think something that we tried to work through, and I think a lot, I think every agency and, and consulting company has the same, but is some form of standardized delivery processes and project processes where you, a lot of the time that you burn at the start of a project is working out how you're going to work yeah. together as a team, how we're going to deliver, what are our milestones, and it needs to be custom to a sense for the client. But there's so there's much more I think you can standardize, big, yeah. Hundred percent. I think there's so much more that big companies can do to be able to support their team to go out and deliver consistent, yeah. repeatable projects that meet the needs and are customizable in the right amount of time or the, the right in the right scope, but are do enable the teams to deliver um, without taking that, you know, the, all that capacity all the the cognitive load required yes. to go. So oh, how we that same process, every you know, like time are we yes. doing our style? Are we not? Like we can standardize it. <laughs> no, I um, agree. Yes. So that's that's probably my thoughts on that. Uh, in terms of the the collaboration between the team, uh, like you know, part vendor, part client, um, I love it. I think there's, I think the tension's really good. I think it's a healthy tension to have sometimes with the right people. Um, if you know, obviously you're gonna have the right people, but it's, I think it can be really beneficial to have that. The different lenses you've got the you know sometimes if you have the the vendors depending on who it is but if they feel invested and accountable and part of the team um and like they they are being recognized as part of that team where you know they're getting recognition in however form yeah. works for them but if they feel part of the team i think they'll go above and beyond because they yeah, always have really a sense good. of needing to deliver a a little bit more. They're, 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 they're there, they like they're cancel. there for their team, you know, as well. So they're yeah. like, yeah, I'm here to, I'm here to, you know, uh, I, I, like I'm here supporting my teammates, like you know, which yeah. might be, uh, you know, direct employees of the of the client, you know, but but yeah, they're people I know. They're you know people I maybe I go I go and have lunch with and that stuff, yeah. and you feel very invested in that, especially like, and I think that's an especially good thing. Yeah, 
absolutely. And I think people want to be, at the end of the day, being a lot of, everyone wants to be a part of a, a good team and a good story. Um, and so working out what a good story is for the vendors, what's a good story for the, the team, what does that look like and where does everyone want to go? And if everyone's heading in the same direction, I think I think it can be pretty powerful. I, I quite like fairy tale stories. I'd like to be in one of those. Um, potentially science fiction. Uh, yep. I like those two. It doesn't start with once upon a time. Okay. Ah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away. Far, far away. <laughs> Actually, you guys nailed it. It's on the front of how uh, how to really approach into that kind of situations. I'll add as last unto a side perspective of like as a consultancy organization how we can actually also build the teams so this is something which i am doing like day to day these days is that uh, when you get into that situation that the whole uh, number one it's really essential to bring in the right people into the consultancy organization itself because if you just bring in certain technological people yeah i want to do only this side of work only or i'm only into might not really work out in a consultative mm -hmm. organization. So yeah. you will need to bring in people who are with, which more open-minded of mm -hmm. different technologies. Yes, I'm open to work on it. I'm specializing in this, but I'm open to work on the other areas. Yeah, That's one, number one. Number two is we need to also make sure that they are up to date. One of the serious drawbacks in the consultancy is that once you get into a certain client and then you get the long-term engagements, you get stuck with a certain way of doing things yeah, and that right. certain technology stack. And when they come out from that, especially after one to two years, or one, yeah. then you would see that that person is completely out of line with the rest of the world. The rest of the market, yeah. Because, it, yeah you can sort of become technicians, because, right, for that particular exactly. tech, yes. So we need to be conscious about that and we need to really make sure that there are uh, the ways and structures being set up in the organization itself to make sure that they are coming up to speed with what's happening outside of the world so that that yeah. provisions are given for them to be up to date with the market uh, to really train about the market understand the the market and then the, that skill sets which are required for that and pro give that training and provisions for them even while they are working with the clients and and yeah Serious, it's essential for us to have that knowledge base yeah. of, hey, here's our cross-domain knowledge base. Once you go and get into the organization, you also understand, okay, what am I going to get into? Most of the things where that I have seen in the organization, yeah, yeah let's let's put you into a, a telco project where that it's yeah. only doing a hardcore telco project. And that person has zero understanding of what is telecommunication. I've been working on banking all this time. Yeah. <laughs> so, so then, yes. then three oh, months yes. is needed for them to really understand, oh, this is what is telecommunication. This is where the networking yes. works and all of that part. So likewise, it, that whole balancing act and and having a constant touch with your uh, team and the marketplace is very essential, especially building a, a high-performance team within a consultancy organization itself. So that's my two yeah, cents. That was that. that was fan yeah, that's absolutely right. And uh, that was I think, you know, fantastic uh, uh take on it. Uh definitely. Uh I, I do want to actually add one one more point, which is a little bit 
a, a little bit. It's not. It's not related to this question specifically, but just on high performance teams. One of uh, I think uh, Elijah mentioned uh, you know, recognition, uh, and I think something that I have found the happen too much with uh, especially you know people in leadership and people management and direct reporting uh, type roles uh, is that uh, I find uh, a lot of those folks tend to uh, look for uh, things that go wrong uh, and they they like a lot of times you only hear from them when you know when when you do the wrong thing or you do something wrong um, I uh, I have like I have found it is you know it is actually critically important to mental health to you know for all sorts of things related to team performance that you that you actually flip that around and uh, use positive reinforcement with people actually go up to someone uh, on the team uh, and say hey I, you know, I saw what you did there. Uh, you know, I really appreciate it. I think I think that was great. You know, even if it's small, uh, don't just rely on these big group. Hey, thank you, everybody. Like that goes nowhere. Uh, don't rely on you know tools like uh, these, you know, like like Boost uh, or you know some of these like uh, distributed thank you notes tools either actually go up to people as, you know, especially as, as a, as a people leader and just say, Hey, that was great. You know, and, and, and you will, and you, I guarantee that you will see, uh, you know, a, a, a significant, uh, sort of effect on, on individuals because when they, when they, when they know that, you know, People in leadership are actually care, like actually care about the good stuff that they're doing. Oh, that that's a you know, that is a massive motivator. So that's all. Yeah, I think that's a, a fantastic point to finish on there uh, on, on that topic. Um, I think you know rewarding, recognizing what people do is absolutely vital, especially if you want them to be high performance and continue being high performance as well. I think that's yeah, uh, absolutely vital. Um, I suppose that 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 does bring us to the end of the podcast. Um, so I'd like to thank uh, my amazing contributors today, uh, Elijah, uh, Nicholas, and Danushka. Thanks very much for joining me today, guys. Uh, some brilliant discussions there and great ideas and insights.